pass-through expenses are often ignored because, well, they're passed through, so who cares? The reality is that many of those aren't being investigated. There's huge potential for savings there. And then there are two things you can do with those savings. You can either help the client, and to be honest, some of the uh, partners and attorneys are discounting those fees anyway, or you can actually add that to the margin, and so you can actually make some extra money. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer today on the Legal Talk Network. Thank you for joining us. I'm Craig Williams from very beautiful Southern California. My co-host Bob Ambrosi is away on business today. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And with that, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com and PC Law by LexisNexis. For a free trial, you can go to pclaw.com slash radio. Well, so much has changed in the legal industry since we found ourselves in a deep economic recession a few years back. And law firms have had to pay special attention to how business is conducted. So as we continue to slowly climb out of this recession, what's the current state of the legal industry and how have our law practice management skills changed? So right now on Lawyer to Lawyer, our conversation is going to focus on law practice management. What have attorneys done to cut costs? How has technology helped? What can be done to keep our costs down in the future? Our guests are here to answer those questions and many more. And joining us today is Rudy Baselmans. He is the Regional Director of Expense Reduction Analysts in an international firm that focuses on reducing expenses. And he is not an attorney, he's quick to remind you. You can find out more about Rudy at expensereduction.com. Welcome to the show, Rudy. Hi there, Craig. And our next guest is Jim Calloway. He is the director of the Oklahoma Bars Association Management Assistance Program. Jim served as the co-chair of ABA Tech Show 2005 and the first two GPSFNF national solo and small firm conferences in 2006 and 2007. He frequently writes and speaks on legal technology issues, internet research, law office management, and organization and legal ethics. You can find out more about Jim on his blog, Jim Calloway's Law Practice Tips blog, at jimcalloway.typepad.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Jim. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I guess the, the first thing comes first is that we really need to figure out whether we're still in a recession or not. Jim, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I can only rely on what the economists tell us, and it does seem that we are slowly climbing out of the recession, but I'm not sure that uh, uh, the, the law firm uh, industry is going to totally be uh, tracking the same national figures. I think we've uh, got some systemic changes we're going to look at having to deal with. Rudy, what are you seeing? Well, I see it from two sides. I actually see it from the clients we work with that are lawyers. And then we also see it from the other side where clients are actually using law firms and asking us if we can please help them reduce those expenses. I think the uh, competition is fierce and uh, lawyers are being treated like commodities. I don't think that's ever going to change. <laughs> Probably not. Well, let's get kind of right to it. What do you think, Rudy, is the number one way that lawyers could reduce their expenses? I think the most important thing is to actually work on them. You know, some of them have already been working on them for a few years, but it seems like they always get uh, sort of... Uh, 
second place behind everything else. Uh, there are a lot of expenses that are behind a law firm, and in general, the ones like office supplies, records management, telecom are uh, really high expenses for many of them. And they're things that uh, either because of the high potential for savings, the long-term nature of those costs, or technology complications, uh, oftentimes they're not uh, given the amount of focus that they should. And then those pass-through expenses, those are things that uh, are often ignored because they're passed through, but there are a lot of opportunities there too. And Jim, what do you think? I would think that uh, we really need to look at our billing structure. Uh, Of course, I'm a big advocate of billing by other than alternative methods, by other than hourly billing, alternative billing, we call it. And I believe that we need to look at developing legal, legal project plans and quoting more flat fees or staged fees, so that encourages the law firms to behave more efficiently. If you're just charging by the hour, there's no real reason to cut down the time involved in a project. But once you quote a flat fee for a task, then there's all sorts of motivation to make your process more efficient, and maybe you will even be more profitable, even though you're receiving less money than under the previous system. Tim, it seems like uh, litigation is really not designed for flat fees or for uh, alternative fee billing. Do you do you see a method to be able to really bill an alternative fee in litigation? Litigation is certainly a challenge, and an individual once said that as he was explaining how a challenge litigation was, one of his clients says, we build nuclear power plants over multi-years, and we bid a flat fee for them. You're saying you can't do a flat fee for litigation? And so it may be that we need to have task-based billing, you know, so many depositions at this cost, so many more at this cost. There seems to be a lot of, uh, sometimes we feel like we have to overdo in our depositions because we're afraid if some stone is not overturned, uh, our clients may hold against us. Uh, but I think using project management skills, using uh, more efficiency, using things like document assembly. And I'm really seeing this new move for iPads used in litigation so that you can just grab an iPad that always has everything on you need in your court file. So we'll see how it goes. It's certainly a challenge, but it's also the area where expenses are are rapidly running out of control. And and as our society, we need courts to be able to resolve disputes, not just set things for hearings years away. Yeah, that's truly a problem. The fact that it takes so long to try a lawsuit is one of the major reasons, I think, that it costs so much. Rudy, what are you seeing law firms do? I mean, you mentioned a couple of things like telephones uh, and some other areas. As you consult with law firms, uh, what is it that lawyers are really missing? What are the obvious ones that, uh, in addition to the ones you've already identified, what else can they can they chop at? Well, I think it was interesting tie into uh, Jim in what he's saying. There are so many different companies and industries and, and law firms across the country, and each of them has different approaches. And when you get a broad enough perspective on how people are doing things, just like uh, Jim talked about on the billing side, if you look at that breadth of uh, experience from lots of people and lots of data and how people are dealing with different expenses, you can learn a huge amount. And many of those are directly applicable to a particular firm. Now, is it one particular uh, trick? No, it's not, because it really depends upon the particular firm, how big they are, how many locations they have. Um, what their behaviors are and things like that. Uh, so it's a, it's about looking at the bigger picture and looking at what other people are doing. Well, a great many lawyers in the world are solo or small firm lawyers. Is there a commonality of expenses that, that or a group that they can look at and attack? Well, the, um, the list I had earlier, like office supplies, that's actually our biggest savings area. And the reason it's probably our biggest area is that people don't actually understand how to bid office supplies well. They also don't work on the compliance to their contract and non-contract 
purchases, and they also never get to it. One of my clients once, I asked her afterwards, uh, I said, you know, how do you think you would have done if you'd done this project, and how long would it have have taken to do it? She says, well, she sort of looked around like somebody was listening. She goes, you know, to be truthful, I would never have gotten to it. It's never the top priority. But sometimes they don't realize is that, you know, the $1,000 you might save on a particular expense, that's worth many, many times that in revenue. And it's tough to get that extra revenue these days. It sure is. Jim, as a practicing lawyer, what are you finding? Well, I'm not a practicing lawyer at this point. I'm a full-time practice management advisor. But one of the things we find is that lawyers have had a great deal of freedom. And when they decided they needed a $100 book for a project or, or whatever the latest and greatest was, they were just able to do it. And if law firms were to control expenses, all of these outlays need to be run through some sort of committee and review. It may be the next, maybe if you just need to look at a book for a few hours, going to the local law library is the appropriate thing rather than committing the firm's financial resources. That's actually a great point, Jim, because uh, you see the lawyers and partners, and they see themselves as billing, you know, two, three, or more hundreds of dollars per hour, and they look at their expenses and say, hey, that's nothing. I make a lot of money. And so they focus on what they want and not how to balance the, the revenue and the cost side. And maybe that's the old method, but the new method is going to have to be more efficient. We're going to have to focus on our net income, not our gross income. And I totally agree with you and say just because it's passed along to the client, the client looks at that as a total amount that they paid the firm. So when we reduce the pass-alongs, we make the client happier about paying the part of the bill that we get to keep. Just kind of as a, maybe we should have talked about this in the beginning, but more as a foundational issue. How do you guys define law practice management? I mean, if I went out into the field and asked lawyers how they define it, they'd probably go, well, that's our office managing partner right there. He's, he does that. How do you guys define it? The ABA law practice management section talks about management technology, finance, and marketing is kind of the four pillars of law practice management. I think that's a useful analysis because there's certainly work that needs to be done in all those areas. Anymore, the best model is not necessarily to have a managing partner who answers to all those, but maybe a non-lawyer employee who handles part of it, or maybe various lawyers take on certain roles like the management committee are really working on their marketing and social media. Rudy, do you see There's quite a variety of uh, people involved in things like that. You see the... um, the managing partner either trying to do a little bit themselves and then pushing the rest of it off to much more junior people or getting someone who's responsible for all of the back office expenses, but they're so overwhelmed they just can't get to it. We're still having lawyers trouble with turning in billing sheets, for example, and that's a problem that's been around in law firms for uh, generations, shall we say. I don't well, think let's, talk about, let's talk about billing sheets because obviously money coming in is one of the key factors and and reducing money going out. What can lawyers do that have just a terrible history? You know, I mean, I've seen all kinds of things happen in law firms. They fine lawyers, they suspend them, they hold their paychecks, they do all different kinds of things to enforce compliance with getting your billing sheets in. What, what kind of ideas have you guys come up with or seen really work in the field? Well, I think the key is for lawyers to directly input their time into the computerized system. And if we're doing alternative billing, input the task that's been completed. We have this process now where lawyers scribble something on paper, somebody tries to interpret it, then it has to come back through the circle to be proofed and back through the lawyer again after the proofing's been entered. So if the lawyer would just consistently and contemporaneously enter their time, enter their task as they do them so that at the end of the day, that part is done, that allows the billing operations of the law firm to move on more efficiently. Rudy, do you think that works? 
I think it would, uh, but changing, you know, hundreds of years' worth of uh, history is tough. I know when I ran large consulting groups that were billed hourly, we actually held back bonuses if things weren't being uh, submitted on time. So it's really just a carrot-and-a-stick approach. Yeah, yeah. No other way to do it. Well, what you know, you've identified some, some office expenses and, and uh, telephone. What other common categories do you see as a means of, of uh, reducing expenses without really uh, affecting the outcome of the case? Well, those uh, pass-through expenses are an interesting one because pass-through expenses are often ignored because, well, they're pass-through, so who cares? The reality is that many of those aren't being investigated. There's huge potential for savings there. And then there are two things you can do with those savings. You can either help the client, and to be honest, some of the uh, partners and attorneys are discounting those fees anyway, or you can actually add that to the margin, and so you can actually make some extra money. The other piece about the pass-through is that depending upon whether you're doing something internally or externally, the internal expenses are often understated. When you look at things like uh, copy expenses and expenses from the copy center, a lot of the expenses that go into that center are not being billed back to clients, and they should be. And if you're using an outside firm, they'd be charging for them. So there's a lot of leakage going on on the pass-through expenses and a lot of potential. What do you think the big, uh, the big troublesome leakers are in, uh, in those expenses? Copying? Uh, copying is probably the most common one. Another one is uh, parcel, you know, the uh, FedEx and, and UPS expenses. A lot of those are not being uh, focused on, and, and there's a lot of potential there, too. I mean, I've seen law firms institute those uh, little black boxes that sit next to the copier into the postage machine to capture the expenses that they won't, you know, they won't allow you to copy until you put in the client code. And then there's always the famous 999 code that you can put in to bypass that and, and use the administrative code. Um, are you saying that then they should be taking the administrative code out? No, actually, you need an administrative code. In fact, I use it when I'm at my client sites. What you need to do, though, is you need to look at the behaviors of a particular law firm. When you analyze the data and analyze the behaviors and look at invoices and contracts, then you can compare that to all the other law firms and other industries, and you can say, is this normal? Is it normal to have 50% be under the 999 code? Hmm, no. It should be around X percent. Or you might look at uh, the kinds of contract and off-contract purchases for office supplies and say, is it normal that half of the purchases are off-contract? Well, no, not for a law firm like this. And so it's comparing behaviors and data to benchmark data that tells you whether there's something wrong behaviorally. And then you can have a conversation about what's wrong with our culture and what's encouraging this behavior, or is it really correct? Craig, let me approach this, yeah, let me approach this from a totally different point of view. I think the law firm goal should be doing away with 90 or 95% of the copying. Uh, that's just an old technology that isn't needed much anymore. And if, for, if you're copying for clients, law firms need to have secure document repositories where the, the original copy is scanned and placed up there, and the client gets an email saying, go log into your secure repository if you want this, and let the clients print it if they feel the need to print it. We need to work out cooperative agreements with other law firms saying, we're going to send you everything digitally, you send us everything digitally. And then we need to lobby the courts and judges. We've heard about the paperless practice, and I think we've heard about it so long people kind of come immune to the idea. Uh, but a scanned image is going to be easier to deal with in paper. It's going to be searchable. 
it's going to save the firm that out-of-pocket expense on paying for the copy and the copy machine at the level they do, and the client the expense of paying for the firm's reimbursement rate on the copy. So I would encourage firms to look at the copier as an anachronistic process that needs to be used on a few bases when you're making, you know, four copies for a meeting or something like that, but not the volumes we see in law firms today. I think that's well, a really gonna, good point. I'm going to toss one out there, too, because it's something that I've noticed. I recently switched from uh, a big law firm to a small law firm. And one of the things that I've started to use in my filings is electronic filing with a court. And so instead of paying 75 or, you know, 125 bucks for a rush to get something on file with a court, I'm now paying 10 bucks because instead of hiring the attorney service, that pass-through gets reduced from, you know, 75 bucks down to 10 bucks because all I'm doing is paying $10 to upload the file with the court. Problem is that not all courts have this. Well, uh, I think courts need to be pushed in that direction. Of course, the, the problem in the recession and in the time of decreased court funding is there's an upfront cost to get a court ready to receive electronic filing. There are uh, capabilities, of course, with document management to be able to not only reduce your, um, uh, your copying and transfer that way, but also to improve your entire process and your process flow within the organization. The challenge is figuring that out, of course, what is the right document solution and working on the processes behind it. But there's actually this funny statistic that is out there in the industry that says that when you scan a document and make it available on the network, it actually gets printed more than if you just do it with paper. So you may not see the benefits directly in paper reduction, but it is definitely a huge improvement in process and performance and workload. And I'd say that's a staff training issue you need to work on. I don't doubt the statistic, but it probably won't be true a decade from now. Hopefully not. Maybe we can get all those the behaviors fixed in the law industry, right? Yeah. Let's, well, and it's changing. As more lawyers become younger and they're more used to dealing with computers and more lawyers that come up the ranks are women, I think we're seeing uh, a different kind of usage than it used to be when, you know, the old dinosaur who dictates the email to his secretary is going by the wayside. I would concur that inefficiency is going to be uh, driven out by market forces if for no other reason. Well, let's talk a little bit more about technology. You know, I highlighted one methodology of you know electronic filing to reduce expenses. You guys have talked about scanning instead of copying. What other technological advances are there to take advantage of that lawyers can use to reduce expenses? Well, I think one uh, thing we need to do is is look a lot more at video conferencing rather than traveling, particularly meeting with other lawyers. With things like the iPad face-to-face and Skype video and whatever, and the pervasive number of computers that now have webcams included in them that are really unused in most law offices, I think the idea of having to meet with the lawyer face-to-face when you can meet visually, look at each other in the eye, share documents through some kind of a shared portal so you can review the same document, instead of sending a document around to six lawyers and saying, let's all proof this and get back to me, and then three do and two don't, and it goes on forever. Schedule a time and say, we're all going to meet by video conference at 1 o'clock or by sharing the screen at 1 o'clock in a phone conference, and then we're all going to go over this document, mark it up, and come up with a final at the end of that meeting. So I'll send the final out to everybody and not uh, draft number four. All right. Well, gentlemen, it's, it's time for us to take a quick break. We'll have much more on cost-effective law firm management when Lawyer to Lawyer returns right after this. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes 
just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter. LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. My co-host, Bob Ambrosi, is away on business today. Our guests today are Rudy Baselmans, Regional Director of Expense Reduction Analysts, and Jim Calloway, Director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. And we've been talking about expense reduction uh, and looking at some methods of doing that. Jim, just kind of give us a a forward-looking view. What's on the horizon uh, coming down the path that you think is going to change the way that we practice or at least help us save on expenses? Well, I alluded to the fact that uh, I see some real seismic changes on the horizon, and one of those is the continuing uh, graduation of, of more lawyers than there are jobs. We saw a, a recent ABAJournal.com story that said there were probably going to be 20,000 more lawyers graduate each year than there were actually positions. And we know that oversupply always drives down prices, so we're going to have that challenge as well. But I also think the clients are uh, hiring firms like uh, my co-guests here, and uh, the Association of Corporate Counsel is is really involved in that. Uh, Fred Urey, and, and person who uh, studies this, said he thinks that there will be 10 to 40 percent lawyers, fewer lawyers in private practice within the next decade. Uh, at one level, I hope that's not true. At, at another level, though, you should just be plan to be in that successful 60 percent if that comes to pass. What do you think? What's the what's the driving factor for that uh, ten to sixty percent that's going to not be in private practice anymore? Why would they not be in practice? Well, ten to forty. Some of them will be because 
corporate uh, corporations are, are learning more and more that it's simpler to hire lawyers full time, pay them salary and benefits than to pay them their hourly rate for even a few dozen hours a month. So we're seeing more shift to in-house counsel and lawyers coming out of private practice. But there are so many more tools that can make lawyers so much more efficient in the same way that a law firm used to hire a bunch of associates to do the work. Much of that work now is done by a permanent staff like paralegals and by technology processes. And so the, we may have a situation where we can produce just as much legal work uh, with less lawyers toiling away in law offices. And, and that has profound implications for all of us. Rudy, there's been, there was a lot of noise a number of years back about going offshore to India and using uh, other lawyers in cheaper countries to be able to do work. How's that played out? I think it's going to continue to be an issue. There are many, many millions of people out there who have a lot of experience and knowledge with uh, U.S. law. Is it the right thing? Really is up to each individual law firm. The reality is the people resources within a law firm are going to be going down as far as infrastructure is concerned, and the focus is going to be having as many people billable in the entire organization. So you're going to end up with you know, less admin and less back office support. You're going to be using more outsourced labor, and you're going to be using more uh, consultants. Just the pressure from the market is going to force that. And technology, as uh, Jim mentioned, is going to be a key part of that, using the technology to make the billable people as productive as they can. Rudy, as you go into law firms and you talk to lawyers about expense reduction, you probably get a lot of acceptance from upper management, but you get pushback from the line lawyers. What kind of what kind of excuses are being used, and are they really legitimate excuses of lawyers to say, well, I don't really need to do that? Well, one of them we get uh, commonly is uh, the partners or some of the attorneys will say, oh, you can't look at that expense because that's my client. What they don't realize is that the amount that they're paying extra for a particular expense line item might actually be um, much bigger than the benefit they're getting from them. And the important thing is to create some transparency, figure out what is it that's important, where are the relationships, how much is it worth, and then figure out where you should be in the market, what the pricing should be, and then have a sensible conversation about it. Oftentimes, you stick with the, uh, the incumbent supplier, uh, because they're a client. Other times you say, you know what, they're not worth that much. And you have to have an open conversation about it. Some people are pretty surprised sometimes about how much a relationship is costing them. And it's uh, a conversation that you have to force. And the reality is the incumbent suppliers who are also clients, they don't actually think they're going to be uh, having any risk in the engagement anyway. So they're not actually not even being competitive. They figure, oh, I'm safe. I got so-and-so partner watching out for me. And, and Jim, what what should lawyers be talking to their suppliers about? Should they be asking them for discounts, uh, freebies? How can lawyers change their relationship with their suppliers to be able to reduce fees and costs? I think that everything needs to be on the table to be negotiable. And the default should be that just because we paid X for it last year, we want to know what percentage of X we're going to pay this year, not what multiple of X we're going to pay this next year. You know that it's even more important than just focusing on the cost, which you know, everybody does. You also have to figure out what are the best practices. What are the right suppliers to use or the right products or the right uh, sort of norms in the culture that we should be driving for or the right uh, substitute approaches or behavioral changes or you know things that you know, are completely separate from price, because if you look at the best practices as well, then you're going to find that the combinations can be worth tremendously more. 
It's just like, you know, a good lawyer is worth a lot more than the incremental dollar value uh, than they are, you know, going to a cheaper lawyer. And Jim, obviously there have been some practices that have changed as a consequence of the down economy. What should lawyers be taking away from the down economy as they move forward and the recovery starts to occur? What practices should not change? Uh, Certainly our commitment to quality, prompt client service, to confidentiality, and to the great traditions of privilege and and being the client's alter ego that have always followed the legal profession, that shouldn't change. But there are other items, uh, like the way we manage things, the way we produce things. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at ABA Tech Show about document assembly. There are some really incredible new document assembly tools out there that may cut down the time to draft documents, even if they're not totally routine documents, uh, significantly. So I think we're going to Clients have learned that they were able to slash their out-of-pocket expenses for outside law firms uh, because the recession hit, and I don't think they're going to be willing, even though some partners would like to believe this, I don't think they're going to be willing to go back to business as usual, even when the economy picks up. Rudy, you have any thoughts about the takeaway from the down economy? I think that even as the economy recovers, the behaviors that we've all gotten into are not going to change. Everyone's going to be watching uh, things the same way they have in the last three years. Well, as you, uh, as we wrap up here and, and get your final thoughts, because we have just a few minutes left to finish up, along with your contact information, I'd like you to, to uh, at least add in a couple of uh, your primary tips that you give to lawyers so that they can uh, use those tips as, as they uh, listen to this podcast. So, Jim, let's start with you. Uh, personal time management is a challenge for all of us. And yet it is a necessary item to continue to work on. I have one friend who refuses to open his Outlook email until 10 o'clock in the morning because he says that puts him into a reactive mode. And he wants to spend the early part of the day planning and getting a good start on those projects that are required. So that's something important. But I also think that that paying attention to the latest technology trends is important. Not necessarily technology for technology's sake. But technology, uh, when it makes sense, it can be a huge uh, reduction of time and therefore reduction of expense. And so it's a matter of, of, you know, reading the blogs, paying attention. Lawyers are so busy working for their clients uh, that, that they need to just set out a little bit of time each month to say, what am I going to look do in looking towards the future and an improvement? And can we also get your contact information for our listeners, Jim? Sure. The easiest way to find me is just type my name into Google, Jim Calloway's Law Practice Tips blog. Uh, I'm not in private practice. I work full-time for the members of the Oklahoma Bar, uh, but I certainly do a lot on Twitter and write uh, several uh, articles a month in various publications, and, and generally my blog is the place where I link to all of that content. Great. Thank you very much. And Rudy, your final thoughts and your contact information. I think the biggest thing for law firms to do is to work on their expenses now not work on them next week and next month because that never comes. Don't have any sacred cows and focus on uh, having that transparency and that uh, openness about what the true costs are of things. And don't be scared about uh, mid-contract stuff. I think suppliers think we're all uh, locked in on mid-contract deals. And you know what? You can negotiate in the middle of a contract. And if you can get those savings now instead of, you know, a year from now, two years from now, that could be a uh, huge benefit to you. Great. And how would our listeners reach out to you if they would like to get in touch with you? A good way to reach out to me is uh, at expensereduction.com. And if you go to the consultant advisor page, just type in Rudy or Rudy Baselmans and you'll find me. 
Great. Thanks very much. We really appreciate you guys being on the show today and offering these tips to help uh, lawyers reduce costs, both for themselves, for their clients. I'm sure that people listening will get a lot out of today's program because you guys offered an awful lot of good ideas. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Well, and we'd like to remind our listeners that they can now get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcasts. You can go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. We'll be back again next week with another great topic. So when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll see you then. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.